Hey Swamp Folk, today's episode is going to be a compilation. This means some of these stories will be older and some of these stories may be newer to you. You may have heard some, you may have heard none. Anyways, as usual, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help truly keep this show going on a daily basis. Now, sit back, relax, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some allegedly true and disturbing horror stories. Hey Swamp Dweller. I've been debating on sending my story in since it contains some sensitive information, but you have been so good with others about anonymity, so I trust you. I am a 27-year-old guy, and I work as a correctional officer at a maximum security prison. I am an ADSEG officer, which means I watch over the inmates who are too dangerous to be in the general population. I have received extensive weapons training as well as hand-to-hand -hand combat training so I'm accustomed to getting physical if the situation calls for it, and it often does. This story took place about eight months ago. We received a new inmate from a transfer, and he was a small Hispanic man that had ties to a drug cartel. Within hours of him arriving, he had tried to attack another officer and myself. We handled the situation by only using as much force as we needed to to control him. Once in handcuffs, he began ranting in Spanish which I'm not fluent in, but the other officer was, and I could tell he did not like what he was hearing. We got the guy back to his cell, and I asked what he had been saying. My co-worker was told that he had seen our names on our badges, and his guys on the outside would find us. Honestly, that's a common threat. I laughed it off and continued my day without giving it a second thought. A few weeks went by with nothing out of the ordinary. A fight here, a stabbing there, usual prison stuff. But one evening, I was on my way to work when my mother called me and said a guy she did not know had stopped by looking for me. Working in a prison, you learn to tell family never to mention you to strangers because rarely it's an ex-inmate looking for revenge. So, she said she had told the man he had the wrong house and to leave, which he did. I told her to keep me informed and be careful. So I got to work and did my rounds when the Hispanic man called me to a cell. I always try to be casual with the inmates and only be a jerk when I must be, so I walked over and asked, Hey, what's up, man? Did your mom like her visitor today? He responded, I just stared at him. This isn't good, I thought. Might want to hurry home to that pretty blonde wife and little girl officer. It can be dangerous all alone at night, he said from behind the door. Without thinking, I used my emergency key to unlock the door and threw it open. I could tell on his face that he didn't expect that. I walked into the cell and shut the door behind me. After that, it was just me and him. Don't ever talk about my family, I said through clenched teeth. He put his hands up and back towards his bed without saying anything. I left the cell and immediately went to my sergeant and told him what happened, and I needed to make a call home. He allowed me to, and I told my wife to pack some clothes and our daughter and go to a hotel. If he knew where my mom lived, then he must know where we live as well. I told my sergeant I was leaving and headed home. When I got there, I noticed a man peeking into our living room through the blinds. He turned toward my car, and he was exposed by my headlights. 
but he did not seem to care. As I got out, I saw him pull a pistol out of his waistband and ask, Are you an officer? Sure am, and the cops are already on their way, so just leave. He stood and said something in Spanish before raising his gun and firing. Luckily, I could dive behind my car and avoid the bullets. I can't carry a gun in prison, but I sure could on the streets. I always had a Springfield 1911 in my car. I snatched it from underneath the driver's seat and had never been so glad that I did not shut the door. I had been counting his shots, and when he hit six, I heard him drop a casing on my driveway. He had a revolver. I didn't see that before. I stood up, raised my weapon, and ordered him to stop and drop his and put his hands up. Instead, he reached down to his ankle, where I saw he had a concealed ankle holster for another small pistol. I fired twice at center mass and hit both times directly. He fell quickly and began screaming. Around that time, I heard the police sirens coming since my sergeant had called the police for me as I left the prison. It shocks me that I even had to shoot him, and the ambulance took him away eventually, and he was still alive, but I'm not really sure what happened to him in the end. I found out later that the guy in prison was high up in a cartel and had put a hit on us that day. So, he was transferred the next day, and I quit that day. We have since moved very far away from that area, and have done what we can to stay low if someone comes back. I got some pretty good protection from the state government and FBI hiding our tracks, but I'm still pretty paranoid. Thanks for sharing if you do, and it was nice to talk about it. So this just happened to me recently. I work at a prison here in America and I've seen a lot of shit. From having to do CPR on a man that hung himself and no one noticed for an hour to seeing a dude cut his dick off. But just the other day, we had something that will stick with me forever. It was just a normal day as normal as a prison can be, that is. I had come in early for some overtime and the first shift was going on fine. I had come in for some overtime and the first shift was going fine for the most part. Shift change was happening and I had been moved to a first responder on the yard. I went to switch my gear and let central control know. But then all of a sudden I hear, I need ERTs in the wood shop. Two inmates fighting. Now mind you, I've been in these situations more times than I can count. The oddity being that this is the wood shop where nothing ever happens. So I start running down to the wood shop. Halfway down I hear over the radio, We need a gurney. So I run faster, passing my other first responder, who was grabbing a gurney. I kept pushing my way to the wood shop. I run into the door. My sergeant motions to me that there is someone over by the desk. I couldn't really see, so I walk over to the desk. This is the most hunting thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was burned into my memory. A man sitting on the ground, covered head to toe in blood, is looking right at me with the most fearful expression I've ever seen. His eyes were so wide. God, those eyes. I immediately ripped open my ERT bag and took the cloth out and wrapped his head yelling, I need tiles. Someone get me tiles so I can apply pressure. No, I know who this inmate is, so I immediately call him by his name. And he looks at me. Then I tell him to say where he was at so I can get an idea of how much shit is going on in his head. This man couldn't say a word. We get the tiles and my other co-worker had finally brought the gurney down and we put him on it. I'm noticing a lot of damage to this man. His ears torn, puncture wounds to his head, a broken arm, and his head was concave. We get him upstairs to EMS where I notified my lieutenant that I'll be riding with him in the ambulance. I spent the next seven hours with this kid, being stapled together, 
seeing the damage done to his brain and so on. The doctor said that the area of his brain that was damaged was that of speech, meaning that if he pulls through, he'll likely never speak again. I later found out the details. Apparently, another inmate beat him over the head with a 15-pound metal bar clamp 13 times and stabbed him with a sharpened screwdriver six times. I watched the camera footage and it was brutal. Today I saw his mother and told her what I did. She cried and said, you might have saved my son's life. Thank you so much. This kid is still in a coma and might die. I've seen my fair share of weird things like I said, but I would never get the look on that kid's face out of my mind. It will haunt me for the rest of my life. I am a prison officer, not a storyteller, so this may be either long and tedious or full of information that's irrelevant. I'm also on my phone, so sorry for the formatting and spelling. We start our nights at approximately 8pm and are locked in until the following morning at 6am. It's essentially a skeleton crew and several hundred prisoners secured behind their doors. This week has been the most activity that I have ever experienced and many of my colleagues who worked there have had spooky happenings as well. I'm not really a believer per se, however a lot of creepy, unexplained stuff has been happening recently especially at night, that I have no choice but to begin to believe when it's all added up together. I'll start with some personal backstories and experiences and then this week's activity. At night, we usually patrol two linked wings, as there's no need to have staff patrolling each wing when the prisoners are asleep. There is a wing that I believe is haunted. On the third floor landing, when cutting in, it really freaks me out, and I used to cut through there, now, I, I just feel cold and watched, and I try to avoid it at all costs. I go the long way to access that landing, if I must answer a call bell. It's the same on the first floor landing, on that same wing. As you come down the stairs, and turn to carry on the patrol, there's another horrible, oppressive feeling of being followed that gives me the heebie-jeebies. On multiple occasions, I have had emergency cell bells used by prisoners to alert staff to an emergency go off in cells that are completely empty. Random doors slam when all the doors apart from the toilet, staff room, and the office doors are locked in apparent reasons, and, though, I've seen movement on CCTV cameras when I'm on my own, I've never actually seen it in person. I've also heard things. However, anyone who has either been in a prison or worked in one will tell you they are noisy even at night. I have never said anything about this to my colleagues because being a prison officer dealing with hardened criminals and being spooked by nothing is a sure far away to get, you know, the piss taken out of you. This week, I was not on this wing and was a member of staff that walked around supporting the patrolling team. I accidentally spooked a patrol on a random wing as they didn't hear me and I made a joke and when I did this, they did say that they saw a ghost and we talked about ghosts and stuff and naturally, the subject of this wing came up. My face must have said it all, because they said, Don't tell me, floor 3, as you cut through there and go to floor 1, when you come off the stairs, that you get this spooky feeling that there's like somebody watching you. This sent shivers down my spine. It was incredibly spooky that someone else had felt the same exact sensation, but also a bit relieving that it was just not me who feels it. I carried on with my rounds chatted to people, and talked about my good jump scare in our chat. 
It turns out that many people who work in prisons believe in ghosts after working night shifts. One of the patrols told me that they almost called me to sit with them as they heard a loud bang, as though it was a cell door slamming shut. They all went and investigated, and none of them found a thing. They just sat back down, and it went off again. This spooked them very much. We began talking about how it's just absolutely weird that ghosts have been mentioned, and then those things kind of happen. He then had his own story about the wing. Not only do I think this place is haunted, but I think it's also something that fuels violence. One day, one of the metal security gates slammed shut behind this guy on the third floor landing as he was cutting through one night. Now, having worked on this wing, that gate doesn't move on its own. It's incredibly heavy, let alone slam behind anyone on its own accord. We laughed about being blokes and scared of shadows, and I cracked on with seeing the next person. I must go through a wooden door and a metal gate to access them. It's pitch black, and I don't have my torch, so I open the wooden door and the metal gate and step in to look for the light switch so I can see and lock the door and the gate behind me. The wooden door slams shut directly behind me, and with considerable force, I jump. It wasn't a windy night, and we were indoors, so no breeze or anything. Let me tell you, I have never, ever seen doors shut that fast and that hard ever in my life, and I've never gotten out of there ever so quickly. I spend my rounds talking about the ghost and seeing what everyone's stories are, and there are some exciting stories. Still, everyone I speak to talks about this haunted wing, and either the third floor landing or the first floor landing. I had spoken to six different staff, and they all said the same thing by this point. That's too much of a coincidence for me. I finally got into the haunted wing, and I'm talking to the patrol who has all the lights on for whatever reason. I can only assume that he felt scared, and I swear I see someone moving on the cameras on the first floor walking towards us. Before I can even go down and see where they are, apparently this figure disappeared from the camera screen, and when I got there, there was nobody even there. There was nothing there, and nothing on the playback. So, insane. I hope you enjoyed my ramblings. My colleagues have given me many stories I may send in one day on the show if you enjoyed it. So a few years ago, I worked in a military prison. Our hours were 24-hour shifts that consisted of shared downtime, sleep time, between the change. One half stays awake and the other half sleeps, then switches halfway through the night. I've been working at this prison for quite some time, and I was currently working in our special quarters. Our special quarters was just a long loop with all the cells inside the circle. Every 15 minutes, I must do a health and comfort check and walk by each cell to make sure the inmates are alive and healthy. Every cell has a security light, so even at nighttime, the cells are never genuinely black so that we can see inside at all times. I remember one particular inmate was in a certain quarters because he was mentally not all there. His favorite thing to do was draw, scream all day, pee outside the cell, and sleep. One day, we had to do a cell extraction on him because he was clawing at his gums with his fingernails and using the blood from them to draw symbols all over his cell wall. Medical was looking at him on the spot while I went through the cell to check for contraband. Looking through his drawings, he would always make some sort of childlike sketches of him playing games with his brother and a creepy shadow, silhouette person. It was like something straight out of a movie. 
His name was over the drawings of himself, his brother over his, and Dark One over the shadowy figure. Cheesy, I know. While looking through these drawings, he looked at me and said, He doesn't like you being in there. I suddenly felt the hair raise on my arms, and I walked right out. Keep in mind, inmates regularly tell me this weird type of stuff, and it never really bothers any seasoned officer, except this one time. Fast forward a couple of weeks. It's probably around 2am, and I'm awake while my partner is asleep. During every 15-minute check, I notice every cell's security light was on, uh, as average. Otherwise, I would have to write and report about it. I was sitting in the tiny cell we used for our food for the day eating when I suddenly heard this deafening screaming. I could not make out what the screaming was or whatever language it was, but my arm hairs raised and I knew that I had to find the source. As I was running to find it, every inmate was sound asleep, but what caught my attention was the strange inmate security light was out. There is no way they could have been able to mess with the lights. The way that they were installed made that practically impossible. I quickly yelled to the officers in the other bays that they had heard the screaming, thinking that maybe it came from one of their bays. Not a single other officer heard the screaming. I was the only one that did that night. Since that day, I have always requested never to be posted in there again. However, it was one of the most sought out after posts. I am a 21-year-old male. It was 4th of July, 2019. I live in Kansas in the United States. I worked as a corrections officer at a maximum security prison on the night shift. I oversaw the cell house, the maximum general population, one man to a cell. This is where murders, rapists, and overall the worst of society were housed. Before work, I was doing the typical American 4th of July thing grilling, blowing up fireworks, having a beer or two, having a great time with my wife and family. My wife kept telling me I needed to just call in sick and take the day without pay. I said no because we were a bit behind on bills. I wish I had listened to her now. As the night went on, it came time for us to leave my mom's house and for me to go and get ready for work. I took my wife home, dropped her off, and got ready and left for work. Unfortunately, my wife's car broke down, so she was stuck at home for the night. As I drove to work, which was about an hour's drive away, I watched the fireworks going off. It was sad as I never had to work 4th of July before. After getting to work and getting all my equipment on, I got into the cell house, business as usual. Inmates were showered and locked up. I got my night cleaning crew out so they could clean the rest of the cell house and met up with my partner for the night in the officer's station to get our briefing from the last shift. Fast forward an hour into my dress, so it's now around probably 12.30 a.m. or so. Another officer came into the cell house, so there were three of us. It would often happen at night shift, as there was nothing to do except rounds every half hour. Then, we would hear an inmate laughing, like a witch out of nowhere. It was very similar to a witch's cackle. That was strange, but nothing to be too alarmed about. Drugs, unfortunately, are a terrible problem in this facility. It more than likely still is, as far as I know. Eventually, after a few more cackles, I decided to see what was going on and who was making that noise and to see if they were high. I walked through and checked all 200 inmates, 
and there was nothing. There were a small few that were even awake, so I brushed it off and just went back to the office. My partner and the other officer were asking if anyone was awake and if they needed their cell search. I couldn't think of anyone I suspected of having anything, so I went and checked all the cells again to see if I could get a whiff of smoke or see anything. As I walked on the second story cell run, I found an inmate acting weird. He was in his bed facing the wall, talking kind of gibberish. It was also common as there were a lot of inmates with some minor mental issues. I figured he was probably high because he turned and looked at me and told me to go away. I would leave him alone, but the disrespect made me change my mind. The time now is 12.40am on the 5th of July. I walked back to the office and told the other two officers which cell he was in, and I wanted him to search cell 218. So, how the cell house was laid out is there are 100 cells per level. You can see the north side first and second floor from the officer station, but you can't see the south side unless you walk 50 feet over to it. Picture the movie Shawshank Redemption type cell house, except instead of being able to look through the cells around and across, you will just see a wall. The cells are back to back. As the officers pulled him out of his cell to search it, I went to the ground floor and watched from below. I wanted to get the inmate on the ground level and not the second floor. A handrail was all that was there for protection from going over the edge. I noticed the inmate was taking forever to get out of his cell. Finally, he came out in shorts and a do-rag. This is weird because he wasn't fully clothed and didn't even put sandals on. It was just shorts and a do-rag, but it took five minutes to get out. That made me nervous. The inmate was six foot, 250 pounds, and a very muscle-bound dude. He had size on us, so from the ground, I holler at him and tell him to come down to the ground and that he could use the phone or check his email or commissary. He declined my offer, which honestly never happens. I knew something was up. He was watching them search his cell from the control panel box. This was alarming. They were in his cell. I was on the ground. He could have easily ambushed them. He would have made it to them before I could even get to the stairs. So I, I could even try to keep them safe. So to make sure I could, I went upstairs to the inmate. He was standing in the corner away against the handrails at the top of the stairs. He knew I was the officer in charge of that cell house, the OIC if you will, and he knew I was the one that saw him talking to himself. He asked me why I was having his cell searched. I lied. I said, it's nothing personal man, I have a quota I must fill, we have to search a couple cells a night, and unfortunately you were awake, so I chose to have you searched, it'll just take a second. He was uneasy, he was pacing, something was not right here. Then I saw it. He had turned just right and I saw in his do-rag the Samsung logo reflecting the cell house light. I knew there would be a problem as soon as I saw it. This guy had a cell phone. I called over the radio for two additional officers to come to me. The inmate didn't seem to notice I made the call. My supervisors responded saying two of them were on their way. Side note, at this time, only segregation officers had protective vests, so out of the five of us that were in here right now, only one of us had a vest, and I was not that one. The officers, names changed, South had a vest, McCormick, Collins, Sheffield, and me did not. Time is now 12.58am. As soon as South and McCormick got up to me, I told the inmate to turn around and cuff up. South and McCormick were on the inmate's right side. I was in front of him. 
Why? He angrily asked me. I refused to give him a reason at first. After a few minutes, I had enough and I told him, Look, man, I can see the cell phone in your do-rag. You know you're not supposed to have that. The inmate then gets a defeated look on his face, but the fire in his eyes. His body relaxes, and he slowly reaches to retrieve the phone. But does he pull out a phone? No. Actually, he pulls out a six-inch, sharpened metal rod with ripped fabric wrapped around the bottom as a handle. Everything froze for me. I knew I was going to die. Everything starts moving again. I now have an inmate twice my size charging me thrusting quickly and repeatedly towards me. Oh crap, that was all I managed to yell. I immediately went into a defensive mode trying to grab his arm and disarm him. His wrist just kept slipping. I couldn't keep a hold of it, but at least I managed to block his attempts at my lower abdomen. Suddenly, he aimed high and went for my chest. I felt it make contact. I had just been stabbed in the right part of my chest. Spray him! Spray him! I yelled at the top of my lungs. McCormick was already working on spraying the MK-9 OC spray. For my military readers, you know what I mean. For others, MK-9 comes as a pressured spray bottle of about 20 fluid ounces. You can buy it at camping stores in the United States. It's often called bear spray. It's the stuff that you spray in the eyes of bears and hopefully get away from them. South had come up behind the inmate and grabbed him around the chest and pulled him back right as McCormick sprayed. I didn't realize it at the time, but the spray hit me, the inmate, and South, as well as pretty much everyone near us. I was able to turn and run. I ran around the stair railing past the panel box and, and out onto the run of cells on the second story. I ran past a few cells and turned around to see he wasn't chasing me. That South was wrestling him to the ground while gagging on the OC, as I and McCormick were as well. Sheffield, having heard the commotion, came running out of the cell, saw what was happening, and ran in to help. The inmate grabbed South by the vest and tried to basically throw him over and off the landing, but South dropped to his knees before he went over. I grabbed my shoulder and Mike and screamed into it. Dispatch said something, but I didn't really hear it. I started to charge back to help save South. Before I could get away from the cell, I was in front of Collins. He grabbed me from behind and told me not to go. Due to the layout of the runs, I didn't see it, but Sheffield grabbed the inmate from behind and body slammed him on his face. He began cuffing him. Sheffield got covered in OC as well, due to the inmate being covered in it. As soon as Collins let me go, I stood there and just watched. Up the stairs came four more officers. The captain, a lieutenant, the LT, and just about everyone else in between. They asked me what happened. I started to explain, but he cut me off after he saw the blood coming from my left arm. After taking me out of the cell house, he made me lift my shirt, and he saw the blood. He examined all my wounds. He had me remove all my equipment and hold paper towels to my arm. I was rushed to the ER. I was able to grab my phone out of my rental car, which I had totaled my other car a few weeks prior by hitting a deer. I called my wife and told her what happened. She called my parents and siblings. Luckily, my injuries weren't too bad, mainly superficial. I was stabbed four times, once on my left arm just below the elbow. That was a through and through. The blade went in one side and out the other, and twice on the top of my left hand. And then there was one that hit my chest and went into the skin and hit one of my ribs, keeping it out of my lungs. Out of 37 plunges, I think it's safe to say I'm lucky to be here writing this story. I didn't sleep for two days following the event. I still have nightmares almost every single day about it. 
I'm always paranoid. I openly carry a gun now. After my attack, I was forced to resign for safety reasons. Every state that works with maximum prisons now has vests. None of the people that I even talk to work there anymore. I feel kind of abandoned. They don't even talk to me. I have one guy from that facility that I still see sometimes. My sergeant wasn't there that night. The court is coming soon to add three more attempted murders on the guy. It turns out he was like a shot caller for the Crips gang. If you would like to see the wounds, let me know in the comments. I'll definitely send it into the show. I don't even know where to start. I've been listening to your show for quite some time, and I'm still hesitant to share my stories. I love your channel, and it keeps me company through my very lonely workdays. I spend all of my free time outdoors in the woods, or on the national and state parks in my area, and with my horses. I live in a very tiny, rural community on the edge of a game reserve near the oldest town on the Mississippi River. I've been here all of my life. There is something in the woods down here, and we are definitely not alone. Off and on, my whole life, I have gotten the feeling that I was being watched when I was in the woods. Not every time, but enough to pay attention to it. I am not the type of girl you want to grab a hold of. I can hold my own in a fight, and although I am no Doc Holliday, I am very good with a firearm. But what good would one really do? You can't kill something that is already dead. Enough rambling. I'm sorry, I'm just nervous. I don't normally share these type of things or to talk about this story. One of my favorite spots to go rock hunting is the small creeks and streams on the Natchez Trace. The Trace is a historic forest trail in the United States that is roughly 440 miles long. A beautiful place. I started off down the trail, and I was probably around the creek at about a mile and a half down the dirt path. I made my way down the creek with the help from a live oak branch that I used many times before. I was on a mission that day to find an arrowhead. It was a late summer afternoon, so the weather was amazing. A nice gentle breeze to accompany me, animals rustling in the leaves, birds singing, and the woods were generally very busy today. I was just enjoying myself, arrowhead or not. I hadn't really been paying attention to how long or how far I had been walking. When a beautiful agate caught my eye, Super excited, I bent down to wash it off and put it in my bag. When I was washing the agate off, I noticed the only thing I could hear was the sounds of the water swishing within my hands. No birds, no breeze, no animals scurrying. Still, kneeling in the creek, I had an overwhelming feeling of heaviness, like someone had thrown a weighted blanket over me. I was afraid to look up. I had the feeling I was being watched and from close by. I finished washing my agate off and put it in my bag trying desperately to act as if nothing was wrong. I stood up and fake stretched, side to side, trying to nonchalantly scan the edge of the woods when my stomach dropped. I did not notice where I was. There was no way in hell I got turned around. I was literally walking up the creek and never got out of the water. But for some reason, the place I was at did not seem familiar and the sun seemed to be setting rather fast. Then, all of a sudden from about ten feet behind me, came a clicking sound, and heavy, deep breathing. I did not want to turn around, but I had to. It was my only way back. The water was flowing nice and smoothly in the opposite direction I was facing. 
so I started to pump myself up. For whatever reason, I was about to see or experience something that many have not. I did not have a gun with me, but I had my case knife and was well prepared to whoop someone's ass for stalking me. I think I would have felt better if I had seen another human being, regardless of their intentions. When I turned around, there was nothing there. I did not see a thing, but the woods were still quiet, not a sound. The only thing I could hear was the water splashing as I high-stepped myself out of there. I had to have been about four to five miles from my truck at this point. I started to quicken my pace when I noticed I was making a huge amount of noise for just two feet. So I quickly stopped, and my heart sank when I heard rustling of leaves and grass stop shortly after. Then, the clicking sound continued. I know the animals we have here in these woods, and they don't make any noises like that. So I quickened my pace, making a ton of noise running down the creek. Whatever was behind me was walking along the bank, and it sounded like it was very heavy. The clicking continued getting closer and closer. Just then, whatever was behind me jumped down into the water. I hit a gear I never knew I even had, and no way in hell I was going to try and turn around and look at whatever this thing was. I could see the live oak reaching around the bend in the creek, almost like it was reaching out to help me. I knew at that point, the truck was not very far away. At the time, I was a pack-a-day smoker of Marlboro Reds, and my lungs felt like they were going to explode from the pain. I grabbed the live oak, my hand slipped, and just as I got a better grip and began to pull myself up, I felt something tight and painful, almost burning on my leg. I screamed like a madwoman and began kicking like a mule. I pulled away and ran as fast as I could up the dirt path to my truck. Halfway down the path, I heard a crow. Then I noticed my footsteps were the only ones I could hear, and the life had come back into the woods again. My leg was scratched up pretty bad and I could feel it bleeding, but I did not stop to check it out until I got into my car. I slammed into the truck, got my keys from the hide box and jumped inside. I got the hell out of there, and I have not been back since. Now whether or not something had my leg, I do not know. And I, I can't say for sure, but it could have been an old barbed wire fence, I suppose, maybe something like that hiding, but I've never seen one before and I go there all the time. I don't know. One thing is for sure... Always pay attention when the woods go silent, and always bring something to protect yourself. You never know what could be out there. For the longest time, I've thought about sending this story into the show to see if anyone has had a similar experience and maybe has some feedback. This happened about nine years ago. I was in the seventh grade, living in Spring, Texas, my best friend at the time was Bailey, and to be honest, strange things had always seemed to happen when we were together, but this time has definitely stood out the most. Bailey was living in a bit of a rural neighborhood with woods all around it, a set of train tracks, and all the houses were spread apart a tad farther than the suburbs. Some of her neighbors even had a few farm animals. Anyways, she was my best friend and our favorite thing to do was go on late night walks and talk for hours. It was a regular thing for us. One night we were walking, and a cat joined us, trotting along in front. We both thought it was super cute, and were happy to have a little friend join us. We had been walking for some time now, and I wasn't super familiar with where we were. We had just turned a corner where to the right of us was someone's side yard that was fenced and had a few horses that were eating and doing their own thing, far from the fence. Ahead of us 
to the left was a normal-looking house. Now, out of nowhere, the cat that had been walking ahead of us stopped very suddenly and ran away. As me and Haley walked toward, at the exact spot the cat had stopped, it was as if we walked into thick, heavy air. It was like the worst energy you can imagine. It's as if time stopped and I felt sick. The house ahead of us to the left became our focus. One by one, every light in the house turned on, then off. At least from the windows that we could see. Then a loud scream came from that direction. It was bone chilling. As we turned around to run, the horse that had been on the other side of the yard was directly behind us, leaning over the fence and looking down in the direction of the house. Now, it was terrifying when you're not expecting that, and Bailey nearly passed out. I had a strong feeling we needed to get out of there as quickly as we could, so I supported Bailey the best I could and helped us walk away, guessing which directions to go since, at this point, Bailey was half out of it. We eventually got to her house safely and didn't talk much about it until hours later. The only thing I have left to describe was that the whole thing just felt like a memory was playing out in front of us, and I never felt so unsafe in my life. Let me know what you guys think, though. I have quite a few more experiences, mainly from when I was younger, if it's of interest. I wanted to share this story with someone. I really can't find a reasonable explanation for what happened that night. I tend to be a bit of a skeptic in general, though I'm sure many people say that. And it was such a strange and alarming experience. This happened a couple of months ago. My friend had heard that the northern lights might be visible in our area and asked if I wanted to go for a drive out into the country to see if we could catch a glimpse. So we headed out after dark and drove for a few hours just searching for a good vantage point. After a while, we started to give up on seeing the lights. My friend realized that we were close to her hometown and noted that she had been wanting to visit the local cemetery to find the graves of some of her distant relatives. She had recently been researching her genealogy. It was a clear warm night and we were both a little disappointed that we hadn't seen the lights. We both wanted to make up for the trip, so we agreed to swing by the cemetery. We found the graves took some photos, and just wandered around for a little bit. I'd been feeling increasingly more anxious since we arrived, which struck me as odd. I have done several cemetery seriation projects as an archaeologist, and don't normally feel nervous in cemeteries. Even at night, in fact, I usually find that cemeteries are peaceful and calming. But I felt strange in that cemetery, and found myself frequently spinning around because I felt like someone was standing behind me. Still, I just chalked it up to some casual anxiety and tried not to dwell on it. One of the problems with having an anxiety disorder is that it's sometimes hard to tell when your nervousness is justified. Even in retrospect, I don't know if my anxiety was just in my head or if it was related to what happened next. After wandering for a while, we realized that it was approaching 1am and that we should probably get back home. We headed toward the car. The car was in sight and my friend was a few yards ahead of me when it happened. I suddenly got the nervous feeling, again, that I thought that I heard someone running up behind me. I was starting to turn my head to look back when it felt like something collided with my back. Right between my shoulder blades. There was a weight behind it too, as if someone had hurtled into me. 
the impact was so forceful that I was thrown forward and fell flat on my face, and as I scrambled to get back up, I felt like the weight was hitting me in the shoulders again and was shoving me back down. I glanced up to see my friend running toward me. She had also heard someone running up to us, had heard my initial fall, and had turned just in time to see me being pushed back down. She would later tell me that she had seen my hoodie flattening against my back and shifting, as if someone had been pressing their hands against my shoulders. She grabbed my arm to pull me up, and the weight disappeared. We both bolted to the car. We jumped in and locked the doors. She immediately peeled out and we sped away from the cemetery. We drove for several minutes without saying a single word. I think we were both stunned and more than anything, confused. She finally glanced at me and said, What the hell just happened? I didn't quite know how to answer that. I told her that someone had shoved me to the ground and she said, I, I know, I saw, but what was that? There was nobody there. We tried to come up with a rational explanation, but none of them made any sense. Had someone ambushed me and then bolted? No, that's not possible. We would have seen them or heard them, right? Had I tripped? No, I definitely felt something pushing me, and my friend had seen me being shoved back down. Had it been the wind? I don't even think that's even remotely possible. There hadn't been so much as a breeze that night. And if there had been some freak gust of wind, it definitely would have hit my friend too. We just could not explain it. Neither of us had seen anything there, and whatever had pushed me, twice, had not been visible. As the adrenaline faded, I noticed something else. My back hurt. Right between my shoulder blades, right where I had felt the impact, I could feel a sort of stinging, prickly sensation. It felt like my back had been brushed with stinging nettles. I mentioned this to my friend and she insisted on pulling over to look at my back. She switched the hood light on, pulled the collar off my hoodie down to look, and I heard her mutter, What the hell? She took a photo of my back and showed it to me. The skin between my shoulder blades was red, and several little blisters had started to appear. They were swelled up and popped. It was as if I had gotten sunburn or chemical burn. There weren't any scratches or anything. It was a subtle mark, but it was clearly there. We couldn't explain how I had gotten burned. I hadn't touched my back. I hadn't rubbed against anything. And it was on fire. It continued to sting for several days after this encounter. I couldn't sleep that night. My back hurt, and every time I started to drift off, I suddenly sensed that someone was standing over my shoulder, and I would startle awake. I couldn't really understand what was happening, and went wet and down at that cemetery. But it rattled me. I don't know if I believe in ghosts or demons to be honest, but I do know that something truly bizarre and frightening happened that night. It's been difficult to come to terms with. I already have PTSD from actual assault and there is something deeply unsettling about the fact that, in this instance, there's nothing I could have done to defend myself. It's been a major setback in my recovery from the previous trauma. I've had several odd nightmares since then. Dreams that are like nightmares that I used to have as a kid and young adult. I don't know why, but as long as I can remember I've had dreams in which this creature thing is attempting to lure me into some sort of set of woods or into some sort of portal. I usually understand this creature to be the devil or a demon. Sometimes it takes form of an old woman. I had one dream when I was about 13 years old in which I was wandering through a forest. I came across a little cottage with the old woman standing by the porch. She beckoned me inside and I acquiesced. 
We spent some time casually talking and baking cookies, but I felt uneasy around her and got the sense that she wanted something from me. At one point, I glanced out the window and noticed a group of people standing in the yard, calling out to the old woman. I asked who those people were, and I vividly remember her telling me, they want me to take them in, but I don't want them, I want you. In other dreams, it's had a more sinister appearance, but I always recognized it as the same creature. I sometimes have dreams in which it's sitting in the dark at my bedside, whispering to me. It has a shadowy appearance with long, lanky limbs and an empty eye socket. Its teeth are made from razor wire, and there is something like blood or wine gleaming on its lips. In those dreams, I can hear it whispering out, but I can never understand what it's saying. Sometimes, I have dreams of the same creature sitting in a chair in the corner of my room, eating a rotten apple. I know these are just dreams, but I mention it because these dreams have been subsided since my early 20s. But after this incident in the cemetery, it rattled me so much that they have returned. It seems to have shaken my understanding of the world around me. In these new dreams, this creature is standing upright behind me at the cemetery. Time is standing still. I can see my friend frozen ahead of me, and the creature is whispering at my back. I don't know why my mind is conflating that creature with my encounter at the cemetery, but maybe somebody can explain it to me in the comments down below. This happened in September of 2020 in Aiken, South Carolina. I didn't grow up there, and we only lived there for about six months, so I'm not too familiar with the area. Some of these details are boring, but I think it helps explain the setting and situation better, so I'm going to give them regardless. My fiancé had reconnected with an old friend from high school. We decided to rent his basement, which was renovated into a separate apartment while we looked for a place of our own. The house is not in a neighborhood. It's pretty much in the middle of nowhere in my opinion. We had no neighbors, and the nearest house was probably several acres away. At this house, there were two large dogs. They were both around 65 pounds or so, and our dog was a little bit smaller than them at the time. The dogs would run around and play in the woods at the edge of the backyard. Everything was good for the first few weeks. Then at night, we started to feel very unnerved when we had to go outside. I know it sounds so cliche, but it felt like something was standing in the woods staring at us. If we went somewhere after dark, we would always speed walk, almost run from where we parked out front all the way to the side of the house to the backyard, which is where our entrance was. Then we started hearing it. As I mentioned earlier, the dogs ran and played in the woods, so we were very aware of what it sounded like when a 60-pound creature was rambling through the woods. This was much bigger. So much bigger. It wasn't just the three of us hyping each other up to be scared either. Anyone that came to hang out, there was a pool in the backyard so we had a fair number of visitors. They would hear it too, and no one ever stayed outside after the sunset. We thought it was a bear, to be honest, because whatever was making the noise was huge, much larger than a person. So a bear is the only thing that really fits in our minds. A few months go by and we found our own place, and we were in the process of moving out when this occurred. My fiancé was up at the car, arranging the boxes so that we could maximize the space we had available. I had just carried a box up to him and was walking around the side of the house. From the front to the backyard was a sloped downhill. 
As I was walking down to go around from the side to the back of the house, I saw it, staring dead at me, straight into my eyes. I'm pretty sure my heart stopped beating for a few seconds, and I completely froze up. Some instinct inside of me made me begin walking again. I felt like I shouldn't run, but try to act normal and get my ass inside. As soon as I got inside, I shut and locked the door, but immediately had to unlock it to open it back up because I couldn't lock my fiancé outside with this thing. I immediately started seeing these gruesome, gory pictures in my head. Pictures of me and my fiancé beheaded, completely mangled and broken laying on the floor of our apartment, and everything was left in the apartment smashed on the floor around us. Then right after that, something like, no, that's not what I'll do. My fear of the unknown is making me unreasonable. If I just let it in, it won't be like that. I kept having the weirdest urge to basically invite this thing in, which is absurd because the door was cracked open, and honestly, even if it had been shut and deadbolted, if that thing wanted in, I'm pretty sure it could have gotten in. I was torn. I wanted to call out to my fiancé, but I didn't want to startle the thing by yelling, and I didn't want my fiancé to come rushing down to the door and have that thing spring on him and attack him. Finally, I couldn't take it and I yanked the door open. I was planning on running to the car, but my fiancé was right there and had seen the thing too. He had been watching it, and he thought this was very strange and he was freaked out. The second it turned and disappeared into the woods, he rushed to the door. This thing was super tall, super skinny, and sickly shade of whitish gray. It had brightly lit up glowing eyes. One very crazy detail is that I swear the eyes were a golden color, and my fiancé swears they were red. I don't understand any of this, but especially that part. The worst part of its appearance, however, is that it did not have a mouth. Besides its bright eyes and the rest of its face was just skin. Tightly stretched, but perfectly smoothed out. There was no mouth. What the heck? I have never in my life felt such a shock. Like, just a feeling in my heart that something was so wrong. As I did when I saw that thing, looking into my eyes with its smoothed out skin where it should have had a mouth. How do you eat if you have no mouth? How do you stay alive if you can't eat? Sometimes... I worry that I honestly had the chance to meet and interact with a completely different species, and blew it by being judgmental and fearful. This thing wasn't like me, so I was deathly afraid of it. Did I have a reason to be afraid? If it had wanted to hurt us, I'm 100% positive it could have. My fiancé said he could feel the evil radiating off of it, that I need to quit beating myself up because it did not have friendly intentions. I know that this sounds so totally and utterly fake, and it probably sounds absurd. I won't believe this if somebody else posted it either. If somebody sent this story to me, I'd probably be like, man, you're tripping. I'm just wondering if anyone else has ever seen anything like this. And if they have, maybe they can tell me what this thing was. For months after it happened, I wouldn't talk about it. Anytime my fiancé brought it up, I would shut down the conversation. I didn't want to even relive this thing by talking about it again. I was scared that it would feel me thinking of it and somehow come back and find me again. We don't live near that area anymore. And now, I know that it's an irrational fear, but I still get scared sometimes. A group of friends and myself rented a place on a lake just for a fun-filled drunken weekend. We were all in our young to mid-twenties, and this was just supposed to just be a big party. 
For the most part, that's what it was. The Friday night and Saturday morning, we pretty much all went out having a blast on the water and just doing fun, stupid stuff. Well, naturally, when Saturday afternoon rolled around, we were all so dead from going out, we all decided it would be a night of no drinking. But nothing too crazy. We just kind of had a chill night. That's what it was. Relaxed. So 9pm comes rolling around. About 8 of us were inside the house and 5 outside. The house had 2 stories, with a second story deck and back porch. And it was surrounded by the woods. And then down through the woods you would then hit the lake. It was serenely in the middle of nowhere in the backcountry. I'll mention that we had already experienced some weird vibes from the locals when we first arrived in town. Mostly just backcountry old timers that I assumed were just leering and irritated because we were not, you know, locals and we were just a bunch of college kids having a good time. But the town and the lake were large, so it's not like anyone knew where we were staying. Anyways, three of my friends were on the upstairs back porch and my friend and I were downstairs outside just talking on this little old table near the woods. I mean, it was otherwise just a nice night. My friend and I were just getting lost in conversation, and suddenly there was this weird feeling that encompassed us. Like an unnerving physical experience that came from the woods behind us. It was so strong, we both kind of just quieted down, and then out of nowhere, this loud chanting abruptly came from the woods. I have no idea how far away it was. Because of the way the lake is set up, I'm pretty sure the voices carried up through the forest. It sounded like a cult, chanting away, and all the voices were male. I mean, they were very loud and perfectly in sync. They were almost like Gregorian chants. I think we were frozen for about 20 seconds before I couldn't contain myself and darted towards the house. I don't know how to explain the feeling that came over me with that chanting, but it was almost evil. Like just something so powerfully uninviting. I was shaking by the time we got up to the second story and ran out into the balcony with the other friends. One of them was my brother. By the time we got up there... The chanting was done, and I naturally asked, Did you guys hear that? In the shakiest freaked out voice, they all heard it, and not seconds later, the chanting began again. So the five of us are out there peering into the forest listening to this chanting that would sometimes sound far away, and then sometimes sound relatively close. All male voices in the weirdest language. I don't even know what it was. It sounded like some strange extreme church. Then, following the chanting... A loud bang like someone hit a metal object or something. Then the worst part came. A man wailing. Like an extreme pain wailing. All my hair was standing up on my body. It was like the freakiest experience ever. My brother and I were staring at each other with a mixture of scared, excitement, and horror. The wailing stopped, and then it was back to the chanting, which eventually died out. I was so freaked out by it, I wanted to call the cops, but because whoever screamed had to be in a lot of pain. That mixed with the weird chants just made me feel super unsafe. I felt like maybe some sort of terrible sacrifice was going on. One friend tried to say it was probably some drunk guys just messing around and singing and being really weird. But no way that was the case. They were perfectly in sync. Then the bang and the wail of pain, and then all of the weird tension and energy was just gone. I didn't call the cops, and I wished I would have. But honestly, the forest was so large, and since the lake house was up looking down into the woods and the lake, it could have been anywhere. It wasn't in our proximity, but it was close enough to hear all of it perfectly. We went in and got some of the others, but by the time they came out, the chanting had stopped altogether. 
Someone wanted to go explore and find out where it had been coming from, but obviously that was a stupid idea. After that, I was ready to go home. I can't explain the relief of driving away from there the next morning. Even now, it gives me the worst feeling. Whatever it was, it felt so wrong and evil. I'll never forget that moment. I can only imagine it was some weird cult stuff. If you live in the northeastern part of the United States, then you know that a huge snowstorm came in this week. Well, I was at my boyfriend's house, and we couldn't find his puppy in his backyard. We kept calling his name, but we couldn't find him and he wasn't coming to us, like he always does. In fact, we got really scared, and in fear that he somehow got out of the gated backyard, I grabbed my snow boots and ran to the back door that he has in the kitchen, to note my boyfriend was standing by the back door looking for the dog and his dad was at the front door talking to a postal delivery driver. We were the only three inside the house. I put on a snow boot, then hopped from one side of the kitchen to the other while putting on the other. As I slipped on the second boot, my foot slipped from under me because my boots were still wet. I landed hard on one knee and my other leg flew out from in front of me. I then landed on my butt and knew I was going to fall backwards and land on my head. In that moment, I felt someone catch my upper back and shoulders with their hands and then squeeze my shoulders. It kept me from falling backwards and slamming my head against the tile floor. My boyfriend was standing in front of me and has a broken foot, so he would never have made it in time to catch me, so I assumed it was my boyfriend's dad. His dad came back and asked if everything was okay and what had just happened. I didn't think anything of it at the time and laughed off my bruised knee. Later that night, my boyfriend's mom came home from work, and I was telling her how her husband saved me from a bad fall. My boyfriend then cut me off and said his dad didn't even come into the kitchen until after I fell, and that he didn't know what I was talking about. We even confirmed this with his dad as well, and he even stated that he saw me sitting on the floor when he came back to check on the dog. I have no idea what I experienced, or what could explain what I experienced. All I know is that I fell hard, and that whatever happened saved me from possibly getting really hurt. I can't explain why I felt someone catch me or why they squeezed my shoulders after they caught me. Can anyone else explain this experience, or does anyone have a similar one? This story happened to me roughly six years ago but I think about it frequently because it's the only paranormal thing I witnessed that I'm 100% sure was real. I can't help thinking, maybe someone had a similar experience out there, or somebody listening to the show might have some theories. So, it was the middle of winter, and it was terribly cold. There was a huge snowstorm outside. I went to my kitchen to make myself some tea. It was about 2300 hours. Note, that I'm used to going to bed at around 3 to 4 a.m., so I was not sleepy in the slightest. I was approaching the table when my gaze accidentally fell on the street outside. I saw two men in dark clothes walking there along the road. They struck me as unnatural right away because of how they were walking, calmly, slowly, leisurely, talking and gesturing to each other. With how strong the wind was, people just couldn't walk like that. I adjusted the curtain to take a better look, it hid them from my view for less than a second, and when I looked again, they were gone. The road where they were walking is long and surrounded by nothing. 
They just couldn't have hid anywhere during that split second. I was shocked and downright curious. The next night, I checked again but saw no one. The night after that, though, I saw them again. The same men walking in a similar snowstorm, just as slowly and casually. I stared at them for a while, then I moved to the curtain again, just out of curiosity, and the next second, they were gone. I have never seen them again after this, though. I still check the street every now and then, whenever I approach the window. My only guess is, is that I somehow peeked into some other reality, where it wasn't cold and saw some ordinary two men going on their way. But who knows what it really was. I have seen some other strange things in my lifetime, but nothing I can really be sure of. I'm not impressionable, and I try to find an explanation for everything, and this is the only case where I can. Maybe some of you guys listening will have some ideas as to what this may be. I don't know much about paranormal activities, not in depth anyway, so maybe such sightings aren't that rare. So this story takes place when I was six years old. I don't remember the incident itself, but I do remember that day, some of what happened, and that trip. My parents have retold the story several times since, so I grew up hearing it and have all the other pieces that I was missing. We were going on a trip to see my grandmother for about two weeks surrounding Christmas. So my mother and my stepdad threw me and my brother in the van and we hit the road. My grandmother was living about nine hours away at the time, and the trip is never the safest in the world and worse yet during the winter. Getting to her house involved driving on steep, winding mountain roads with hairpin turns and sheer drops with no guardrail to speak of, in an old, beat-down van in the Canadian winter. I feel like my parents were being very optimistic and thinking that the van would even make the trip. It did not. In the middle of nowhere, in a heavy blizzard, the van had broken down. My stepdad managed to limp it three-fourths of the way there but eventually it died. My mom used her one bar of cell reception to call CAA, basically the Canadian AAA. After that, there was nothing to do but sit and wait. In a place so rural, there's not a lot of traffic on the road, especially not in December in a terrible snowstorm. So, with no help on the way, they dressed us in our full winter gear and held us in their laps, just trying to keep us warm. They explained to us since then that they were freaking out. It was very cold, getting dark, and we had hardly anything left to eat or drink. And on top of that, they had a six and three-year-old to keep alive. Yikes. So here it is. It was really starting to get black when my mom said something like, What if nobody comes? What if they can't find us? To my dad. And apparently, I pepped right up into her arms and said, Don't worry, Mommy. Michael is coming. They told me that they thought that I was referring to Michael the Archangel because we were raised Catholic. They thought that I was meaning that he was coming to save us and was just trying to be reassuring in that little kid way. They smiled at me and thanked me for being brave. Not two minutes later, the only vehicle to come down that road since we had been broken down rounded the bend and cut through the dark with headlights leading to us. The tow truck CAA had been sent for us, pulling up beside us, and my parents left my brother and I in the van, jumped out to meet them. The guy driving the tow truck was out in the snow. He reached to shake my dad's hand and said, Hi there, folks. I'm with CAA. I'm here to help. My name is Michael. I was six years old. Somehow, I had predicted the CAA call guy being Michael. And my parents, ever since then, have had no idea how it happened. 
Now, I know this might not be the worst and most terrifying story you've ever heard, but it is a bit spooky that a six-year-old somehow knew that Michael was coming. This story took place when I was 23 years old, close to 10 years ago. I was living in upstate New York in a very rural area with my ex-boyfriend and his family. He and I used to argue quite a bit. One morning before he went to work, he and I got in a very heated argument. He was 20 years my senior, but during this fight he acted majorly juvenile. He jumped out of bed, flipped me the bird, and yelled, If you don't like it so much, then why don't you go ahead and go back to the Bronx? That was all the prompting I needed. I threw on my Uggs and my winter jacket, grabbed my cigarettes, and flew out of the house. I am unfortunately an impulsive person and didn't think to grab my cell phone before I stormed out of there. I didn't drive, so my only option was to walk. I don't think at the time that I intended to walk back to the Bronx, as it was a three-hour car ride upstate, but I just needed to go for an angry, dramatic walk. I realized once I got to this road at the entrance of the trailer park that I had no idea where anything really was around here, as I had only lived there a few months at that point, and we really didn't go out a lot. I banked left, just walked and walked where eventually I knew civilization would be. I found myself walking alongside a very busy stretch of road, with 18-wheelers flying by, spraying me with slushy snow and soaking my shoes. I saw my then-boyfriend driving by on his way to work and he sped up as he drove past me, evidently still angry about our fight. I thought for sure he was going to turn around at some point, but he never came back. I pressed on, deciding instead to try and walk to my best friend's mother's house, which I knew would be in the same town. It started to snow, and I was losing momentum. I passed by a VFW, where a nondescript pickup truck was parked in the driveway. It wasn't until I had passed it that I even realized that there was a driver in the front seat. He called out to me, Hey honey, do you need some help? My stomach churned realizing I would have to accept this stranger's offer. I approached his truck slowly and tried to weigh out my options. He was a clean cut, seemingly normal older white guy, gray hair, greenest blue eyes, just average. I blurted out, Are you a good guy or a bad guy? And cringed at myself for asking such a dumb question. <laughs> I'm a good guy. I wouldn't tell you if I was bad. I ignored the bells going off in my head and got in the front seat with him. As we drove, I realized I had no clue where my friend's mom lived. I knew the name of the road she lived on, but it spanned a good distance, so it wasn't very helpful in terms of finding my destination. I asked to borrow a cell phone so I could try calling my best friend to ask her where I was going. I called her three times and she didn't answer because she didn't recognize the number. I started to feel inexplicably hopeless. After a few minutes, he asked me where I was from and why I was out in the middle of nowhere, in the snow, wearing pajamas. I explained I was originally from the Bronx and that I had gotten into a fight with my boyfriend. He paused. Hey, you wouldn't be interested in making a little money, would you? I chuckled nervously and said, Oh, no, thanks though. He responded with, Well, I just figured since you were from the Bronx, and trailed off. Realizing at that point I was almost definitely in deep trouble. I muttered, Oh, sure. He eyed me up and down and laughed at himself a bit before saying, Sure, she says. I started to panic big time, but knew I couldn't show my fear. I scoured the scenery for a pillowy snowbank that I could land in if I leapt out of the truck. 
but to no avail, there were none. The houses were so few and far between, I became certain this would be how I met my demise. I'll never know why, but it was at this point that he decided to ask me who I was going to see. I quickly blurted out my best friend's mom's name and her husband's full name. He instantly perked up and explained that he knew the husband and how they used to snowmobile together 20 years ago. I felt the greatest wave of relief when he explained that he knew exactly where his old buddy lived. When we finally pulled up to that big yellow house, it was like arriving at the promised land. I reluctantly asked his name. Steve, he said. Then he asked mine. I gave him a fake name, spat out a fake thank you, and ran as fast as I could to the front porch. I crashed through their front door and locked it behind me. I immediately started crying and running through the house trying to find my friend's mom. I had awoken her from a sound sleep, but she didn't say a word about it upon seeing how shaken up I was. Once I knew I was safe with her, I explained everything. The fight, the fleeing, the weird guy, and his sexual proposition, and she listened, horrified and curious at the same time. She made me promise to never do anything so reckless again. She told me she would ask her husband when I got home about this Steve guy and find out more about him. I returned to my boyfriend's later that same day and got really stoned and tried to forget about the events of that morning. The following day, my friend's mom called me to tell me that Steve was a dangerous person who her husband had cut off communication with years ago. The last he had heard about Steve was that he had been arrested for sexual assault. She then went on to point out how incredibly easy it would have been for him to hurt me and leave me just about anywhere on some lonely stretch of road, and no one would have known where to look for me. Not to mention, I might not have even been found until the snow thawed out. Upon sharing this story again with my best friend, who I mentioned in this story, she reminded me that I left out a super unsettling detail. When her mom called, she was able to tell me Steve's last name. One of the first results on Google with his name, plus the town's name, brought me straight to the registered sex offender website with a mugshot of him. His eyes looked cold and empty, and I realized with him being on probation at the time, he would have been especially eager to not have me get him in any further trouble with the law. Her mom said it best when she told me that I must have had some serious guardian angels watching over me that day. When I was around seven or eight years old, I had a disturbing encounter with a creature or entity. I lived in the Appalachian Mountains Range of Pennsylvania. It was November, around when daylight saving time occurred. I remember it was supposed to be a school day, but since the snow was so heavy, the buses could not drive out in the morning, so the school had been canceled for a snow day. I was so excited to spend the rest of the day outside in the snow. We had an acre of property going quite far back into the woods. I walked deep into the forest to a small frozen pond past my property line. Then, suddenly, the woods went dead silent. No birds, no wildlife scurrying around, absolutely nothing. I remember thinking it was strange but kept walking to make it to the pond. I should have turned around right then and there, but I was just a naive little kid. After I reached the pond, Everything was still completely silent, and the hairs on the back of my neck felt like they were rising. I started to get frightened, and I didn't know why. I just felt like something terrible would happen to me if I didn't leave at that very moment, so I decided to turn back and run back home. As I arrived at the backyard, I realized it was so late and the sun was setting. 
My mom came running outside asking me where I was literally all day and to never disappear like that again. None of this made any sense because I had only been gone for about 20 minutes. I left my house with my snow gear around 10am, right after getting the snow day call. It was now almost 8pm, meaning I had been gone for approximately 10 whole hours. I have no idea what happened and how I had been gone for such a long period. I remember only being out there for such a short period. I'm unsure how to categorize this. I don't know if this was some sort of creature encounter that maybe made me lose time and forget what happened. I don't know if this was some sort of time warp or what. When I was 14 years old, I was spending a Saturday night relaxing, and all I was planning on doing was watching Netflix alone in my family's cozy vacation cabin. It was a small two-bedroom cabin, out in the country, which meant there were no houses for miles, but I liked the quiet. My parents were out on a date and were probably not going to be home until well after midnight or so because all the roads were backed up due to the snowstorm. It was getting late, and I was waiting on the pizza I had ordered like an hour ago, and was starting to wonder what was taking so long. I just figured it was because of the icy roads. I sat on the couch and decided that I was going to be a man and watch a horror movie on Netflix all alone. I was tired of being too scared and hit play. When I was about five minutes into the movie, I jumped to the sudden sound of the doorbell. Realizing that it was the pizza guy, I sped to the front door. I opened the door and I was startled by what I saw. It was a dirty, middle-aged man. So dirty he looked like a homeless guy living on the streets. He had long, greasy hair and needed a good shave. The only thing that kept me from slamming that door was the fact that he was holding a box of pizza and was wearing a Domino's uniform, which honestly looked as if he threw it on as fast as possible. But the buttons weren't actually aligned, and it looked like it was a few sizes too small. The name tag on the shirt said, Michael Smith. It looked like it was hanging by a thread. He was smiling at me, staring directly into my eyes, not blinking a single time. His eyes gave me an uneasy feeling. His smile was so big, almost unnatural. He said, Hi, I'm Ted. Did you order a large cheese pizza? I said, uh, hi, yes. And he was still giving me that same cold smile. I reached my hand into my pocket, looking for the cash I had. Feeling nothing, I said, I'll be right back. I left the money in the kitchen. Before I left to go into the kitchen, I pushed the door almost shut, leaving a very slight crack open. Walking into the kitchen, I grabbed my wallet and started shuffling through my bills trying to find the 20 I had in there. My concentration was disrupted by the sound of a breaking news alert on the small TV that we always had on the news channel in the kitchen. The bold letters on the bottom of the screen read, Domino's pizza delivery man named Michael Smith found stabbed to death in ditch unclothed. I froze in shock. I remembered that the man standing on my front doorstep said his name was Ted, but had a name tag reading Michael Smith, and that he said that his name was Ted like I just mentioned. Chills shot down my spine as I put two and two together. I turned around, basically running to the door. I screamed when the door was wide open and the pizza box was laying on the floor, right next to the stairs. I reached for my phone that I always kept in my back pocket. I nearly cried when I felt nothing in my back pocket and remembered that I had left it charging on my nightstand in my room, upstairs. I started going through all of the options I had. 
I couldn't just run into the snowstorm and run to a mile to the nearest house. I couldn't hide until my parents got home, and that definitely would be a few more hours. The only option I had was to get the phone upstairs and call 911. I felt like my heart was going to stop. I grabbed the biggest knife I could find, not that I was going to be brave enough to use it anyways. My knees and hands were shaking so bad, I slowly walked up the stairs, trying not to make a sound. I got to the last step and saw my room. The door was wide open. I started mentally preparing myself for what might happen as soon as I walk into that room. I tiptoed to the side of the door, making sure that I wasn't visible to whoever could be inside. I peered my head into the room. Nothing. No creepy killer standing in the middle of the room with an axe. In fact, the room was just as I had left it. I could see my phone on my nightstand, which was across from the further side of the room, right next to the closet. I walked in there and reached across my bed. It was just a few inches away from me when I was grabbing it. I was just a few inches away from grabbing that phone and calling the police. I inched forward. I took a big deep breath, hearing the 911 operator's voice gave me a sense of safety. The woman on the other line said, 911, what is your emergency? Hi yes, my name is Matthew Thompson and there is a man somewhere in my house. I am in a cabin on 71 Shirley Avenue. I had said this very quickly. I had seen so many episodes of Law and Order. I had already known what information the operator needed. As the operator was telling me to stay on the line, something caught my eye. My closet. I always kept my closet closed because I had always had a paranoid feeling about it. I hated seeing the darkness in my closet, not being able to see what was in there. Of course, nothing had ever actually been in there, until now. The closet door was slightly open, open just enough to see two eyes staring at me. Those eyes were not the worst part. What keeps me up at night, to this very day, was the fact that he was smiling. So big. I screamed and the closet door swung open forcefully. Now I could see his whole body, his face still smiling at me. I have never ran so fast in my life. I booked it out the room, through the hallway, and the footsteps behind me were never farther than a few feet away. I managed to turn my head and see the man behind me chasing me, still smiling. I threw myself into the downstairs bathroom and locked it. He began to laugh, but this laugh wasn't like a deep, raspy voice, like I would imagine it to sound like. It was high-pitched. It was maniacal. It sounded so childish, which made the whole situation even more nerve-wracking. He was now throwing his body against the door. Every time I heard the man's body being thrown against the door, the man's childish laugh followed. I knew I didn't have much more time until that small, chintzy door eventually broke down, but... I also knew that it wasn't going to be much longer until the police arrive. I quickly looked around the bathroom, unfamiliar with it since I usually used the downstairs one. My body was already halfway out the second I saw the small bathroom window, which I had never noticed until now. Somehow, after a couple more seconds of squirming around, I was outside. The cold snow felt good by this time I had worked up a bit of a sweat. I had tried to get up and start running, but the storm was so strong. It was just hard to get a few steps away from the cabin. I could still hear the man banging against the door by his laugh. I could hear the wooden door start to crack. Just a couple more tries and he was in. He immediately noticed that the window was open and knew I was outside. I could hear his footsteps getting further away. He was running to the front door to get where I was helplessly sitting. I kept looking back and forth to see the sides of the house, not knowing which side he was going to come from. I then saw him peering his head over the side of the house, only making his smile visible. 
I screamed in fear as this man was still wearing that Domino's uniform, tiptoeing to me. He was tiptoeing like you would see in a cartoon, making his steps dramatic. This frightened me as I began to realize how insane this man really was. He was about five feet away from me when I heard the beautiful sound of the police sirens. There could not have been a better time for the police to show up because as soon as that man heard the sirens, he gave one last look at me, smiled and waved as he ran off into the woods over the loud sound of the wind. I could hear that the man was laughing. When the cops eventually pulled into my driveway, I ran towards them crying out of disbelief of what had just happened. I tried to tell them the story, but the only thing that I was able to get out barely made sense. After they calmed me down, they were able to get the full story out of me. I stayed with two officers and made sure they checked the cabin inch by inch while two other officers searched the woods. By this time, it was basically pitch black outside and my parents had finally arrived. After a long, thorough search, there was no sign of the man. I got absolutely no sleep for quite a while after that, still imagining that big, creepy smile. After this whole situation, I wish I could end this by saying I still hear that occasional knock at the door or something cliche, but it has been quiet with no signs of that man. I hope to never see that grinning face for as long as I live, whether that man's intentions were to kill me or much, much worse. Hello, Swamp Dweller. I'm from a small town in Illinois. Being from a small town, there's a few things to do for fun. There's the usual Walmart trip, hanging out in parking lots, or the simple driving around aimlessly. One night, me, my friend, and her sister were driving around looking for things to do, as one does on a Friday night. We decided to make the drive to the nearest city and go downtown and take pictures. During the drive, I spoke my thoughts out loud and announced that I had an eerie feeling. That kind of feeling you get before something bad happens. We get there and park our car. Before deciding to take the four block walk around the abandoned parking garage we knew of, as soon as we crossed the street, we got to a brick pathway with a few storefronts in front of the old state capitol. About halfway down the brick path, there is a small building and hut with tourist information. We took a short break on our walk and decided to take some pictures. As I turned around for my friend to snap a photo, I saw a guy in the corner of the path we just walked through. As a paranoid person, and a person that has watched one too many Forensic Files episodes, I made a watch out for that creep he's giving me bad vibes comment. We were snapping pictures and I noticed every time someone else would walk past us, this said guy would just vanish and reappear once the people had passed. We kept walking and noticed he was quickly approaching us from behind. Giving him the benefit of the doubt, knowing not all people have ill intent, we decided to cross to the other side of the brick path to let him pass us. My friend bent down to pretend to tie her shoe to give him some time to pass. He crossed the street, quickly crossed back, walked in the direction away from us, and then turned back around and crossing the path again directly to us. It made no sense and was absurd. My friend stands up and we quickly cross the street to be in a more lit area with some other people coming out of nearby restaurants. We started walking to get away from him and he began following us. We quickly turned around and began running in the other direction. To which the creep in hand responded by continuing to follow us and keeping on our pace. The three of us turned around and stood at the corner. At this point we are three females downtown alone at 9 o'clock. Being followed by some strange man. My friend and her sister stood next to me. 
I'm 5'2", but being a female, I've learned how to be intimidating, as this wasn't my first encounter with someone like this. My hand was in my pocket, gripping my knife just in case I had to defend myself. This man turns to us once he realized we were no longer walking and made a come here motion with his hands. He then says, Come on, follow me girl, follow me. I then take my knife out of my pocket, quickly flipping the blade open and responded with, Get the heck away from us and quit following us. In the most intimidating don't mess with me attitude I could muster. A group of people looking at Christmas lights across the street realized that there was something going on and quickly approached us and asked if we were okay. The creep gave me the don't you dare say something look. I quickly explained this to the group of five people, two girls, three guys, that this man had been following us for blocks and was trying to get us to go with them. One of the men in the group promptly turned to the guy and spoke. You're messing with these girls, huh? You better turn your ass around and leave. To which the creep looked very frustrated and turned around to walk away. This guy goes, We have some friends walking out of that restaurant. The man that came to our aid grabbed his phone out and called him and his friends and said, Yo, this guy walking past you currently is a creep. He was trying to get on these young girls. We're standing by and trying to follow them. I turned to look at the conflict that was about to occur. As his buddy walked past the creep, they confronted him. Are you messing with these girls? Huh? Try that again and we'll beat your ass. You think it's okay to follow young girls? Upon being confronted, this man ran across the street and started running away. I then re-explained what had happened to the people that had just joined us. We thanked them for coming to our aid and helping us. I don't know what the creeps' intentions were, but I know they weren't good. Had those people not come to our aid and scared them off like that, who knows what would have happened, or where or if we would be here right now. Hello, my name is Nick, and I am 14 years old. This story takes place in 2020, right after the global shutdown. I live in a small town in Ohio called Grafton. I had met these two kids, their names I will not identify. We'll call them C and D. We had decided to go on a walk through the neighborhood as kids do. We had just finished walking through what we called the rich neighborhood, because all the houses looked nicer compared to ours. We came across the trail which none of us had ever seen before. We all agreed to go explore it. The trail led us to this strange pile of tree stumps. We had all had this strange feeling when we had gotten there. It did smell like rotting flesh, but I like to think that that was maybe the trees or something like that. However, we decided to look around the tree stump pile. When doing so, we discovered a sort of, I guess what you could say, fort. We found some sort of bone and paintbrush as well. A sense of dread came over all of us at once. I had noticed something moving in the woods and had alerted my friends. They stared into the woods and slowly started backing up. They had seen it too. What is that thing? Dee said, trembling. I said, I have no clue, but I do not want to stick around to find out. It was not until that thing howled, a scream that I've never been able to describe until this day, that me and my friends sprinted out of that area. All three of us, together, haven't gone back ever since. I have once, a couple of months ago. I was walking around the town with my friend M. I told her about this secret fort that me and my friends had discovered. I decided to go show her where it was. We went to the trail and walked around it. 
There was something off about this trip there, though. It could have been that there were just two people this time, and I was the only one who had been there before. But anyways, I showed her the fort. She investigated the woods and started freaking out. I instantly got worried because that was my first reaction to the creature as well. I started looking through the trees to try and see what she was freaking out about. My heart dropped, and I, I saw exactly what I had seen the first time. I can't really describe it in perfect detail, but it was at least 8 feet tall, had antlers, and from what I could tell, was eating some sort of dead animal carcass. We bolted out of there, and I haven't been back ever since. I don't really know what we saw, but I can tell you this. Something is lurking in the woods of Grafton, Ohio. After hearing stories on your channel, I believe that it could possibly be a Wendigo or something very similar. I'd like to start this story off by mentioning that I am female, and at the time of this story I was in middle school. To give a better understanding of the layout of my home, my family's home is in the country, and we live in a small village. We also live near a post office. Behind my home are a few different crop fields. We also have a horse pen in our backyard. Since at the time of this story we just recently built our pen from an old wooded area behind our home, Behind the horse pen, near the field, is a tiny trail along the fields for farmers to take equipment along. Keep in mind, due to my horse pen being recently built, you have a clear view of the trail behind our home if you stand at our back door. My family would also normally take our dogs for walks on that trail. Now that we have a description, I will move on to the story. At the time, I was visiting my neighbors that live about two minutes away from my house. I was hanging out with my neighbors... I would also like to mention my neighbors have two daughters that are around my age. I'll call them A and M. After chatting with them, I told A and M that I would be heading home, since the sun was going down and I did not want to walk home in the dark all alone. At the time, my sister and my mom were away on a trip. My older brother was away at work, and my father was also away doing a small job for his job. So, I knew I was going to be home alone. As I stepped out of their house, I decided to cross through the large front yard instead of going down the road. My neighbors used to have a couple of horses. So, at the time, they turned their front yard into a big horse pen. They also didn't take care of their field, so the grass was quite overgrown. As I walked through their giant front yard, my eyes drifted over to the trail behind my house, and I noticed a figure walking down it. Side note, no one ever uses that trail. I hardly ever see the farmers even use it. Normally, just my family and I use it to walk our dogs, so seeing a person walking down the trail was a bit odd. I began to grow nervous due to seeing the stranger on the trail. I'm quite the paranoid individual since I do listen to a lot of scary stories, so that doesn't help my case at all, and I began speed walking through my neighbor's field. As I look back over to the figure, it seemed like the person was copying my movement as the figure began jogging down the trail. At this point, I broke out into a full-on sprint. I jumped the fence into my neighbor's yard and bolted for the post office. I then realized the post office was closed, so I ran to my front door. Then, my heart dropped, realizing my front door was also locked, which meant I would have to go for my back door. If I went for my back door, that would bring me closer to the figure, though. I decided to run for it. As I did, I couldn't help but look at the trail to see the black figure charging towards me very close to the horse's pen. 
it looked like this figure was about to jump the fence. There weren't any features on this figure. It was just a tall black figure. The best way I can describe it was almost like how you see a figure in the distance, but all you see there is blackness. I began to cry and rushed into my house. I whipped the door, slammed it shut, and locked it. At that moment, I didn't think of anything. I just grabbed my phone and called my dad. At this point, I was sobbing. My dad picked up and I told him about the figure. Well, when I did this, I hid behind the kitchen counter because it shielded me from the back door. My father tried calming me down and told me that he would be home in five minutes. After he hung up, I noticed that everything was quiet. No one was banging on my door or trying to get in. I was still worried about the figure, so I remained in my hiding place. When my dad came home, I ran to him sobbing. We both went outside and checked for the figure, but it was nowhere to be found. He even got in his van and went near the trail to check it out, and found nothing. My father didn't stick around since he had to go back to his job and finish off what he was doing. But he asked me if I wanted to go back up to my neighbor's or grandmother's house. I chose to go back up to my neighbor's house. I am now a college student, and there was never anything that came from this experience. But I still think about it sometimes. A little after the experience, I told the rest of my family, and they didn't really believe me. When I brought it up again a few years later, others I've told about it believe it was paranormal. I don't know what to think of this experience, but I still vividly remember it. I don't expect anyone to believe this story. I just wanted to share my experience. I also just wanted to say thanks to you, Swamp Dweller, for reading my story and sharing my experience. In 2011, I was a sophomore in high school and I was hanging out with my friend Hadley. We live in the Rust Belt and the population of our area has declined quite a bit in the last 40 to 50 years. So schools were merged as a result of declining enrollment, which means there are a lot of abandoned schools. I lived in a small town on the Pennsylvania-Ohio border, and the abandoned school was a hot spot for teenagers who wanted to smoke weed and break windows and just do overall havoc stuff. My friend and I were in a breezeway type area. You could just step right in over a foot and a half tall wall. Because of all the glass that had been broken out, all of a sudden, a guy comes around the corner and grabs my friend, telling her to come with him. We all think it's the guy who intends to call the cops, so we book it the heck out of there and walk to my cousin's house down the street. It is the day before my aunt's birthday, so it was a supermoon, 3-19-2011. So all of my family is at my cousin's house and we hang out with them for a bit. They all end up going out to eat, but my cousin, Hadley, and I stay back at the house. It's now dark outside. We are sitting on my cousin's stoop and smoking cigarettes, when all of a sudden we see a man walking down my cousin's driveway, from the direction of her garage, not the direction of the street, and he has his coat pulled over his mouth, and his hat pulled down his eyes, so no one could really see what he was. All you saw were eyes and nose. He's making a strange gesture at us. At first I thought he was jangling keys at us, so my stupid self thinks it's our uncle trying to give us the house keys, and I walk up to him. And my cousin says, Jake, get the heck away from him. And now I'm a little bit closer and I can see what he's doing. He's playing with himself. We turn around and run back to the house, to the front door. The door to the stoop was literally never, ever used and was blocked with a bunch of stuff because it opened up to the storage room. We thankfully got inside. 
The guy gets to the front door after us and finishes all over the sliding glass door and then runs back towards her garage into the woods. We are freaking out, losing our minds. We call the cops. They ask us some questions and then leave. About a week later, a girl who had graduated from our high school heard about what happened and remembers seeing a car parked on the street behind my cousin's garage. They had taken down the license plate number. She reported the number to the police and it was registered to an Ohio man and we are in Pennsylvania, but literally only about a quarter mile away is the Pennsylvania-Ohio border. Not much got really made of this though. And then suddenly, a few weeks later on the news, there is a case about a car chasing down a woman from Walmart in Youngstown, Ohio, and attempts to follow her inside and, you know, assault her. The man got arrested. Turns out he had a habit of trying to assault people in Walmart, parking lots in both Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and Youngstown, Ohio. He faced charges in both states, and my cousin, friend, and I were all subpoenaed to testify against him. When we got to court, we had to see everything. We had to see the guy who messed with us that night and played with himself and did God knows what else to other people. I do believe he eventually got a few years in prison and did get out though in like 2015 or 2016. So yeah, I'm not entirely sure if uh, justice was really served there. To preface this, I love to drive, like hours-long drives to nowhere with no destination in mind. Just me, my music, and the road ahead of me. Living in Nebraska, I'd often take roads or lonely highways, cutting through the countryside to small towns and eventually cities. And I'd usually take these drives at night since there was less traffic to worry about. I've done it since I've had my license for four or five years now. And I've never once had any sort of issue, nor have I ever run into any trouble. That was until a few nights ago. For reference, I'm a relatively small 22-year-old female. And as I've stated before, I've often taken drives like this completely and utterly alone. They're a good way to clear my head when I'm stressed, upset, or overwhelmed, or for me to get a plan together or some sort of personal issues out. I've also done these long and lonely drives to get away from the toxicity of my household when I used to live with my parents as a means of coping with their alcoholism. Though now that I have moved out and I'm in a much better place mentally, I don't really have the urge to get in my car and just drive anymore. However, on the night this event took place, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed, stressed, and anxious with a clusterfuck of personal issues I'd rather not get into. I felt restless and irritable around my boyfriend. I couldn't really focus on anything else and decided I would take a drive to clear my head. My boyfriend was understanding and told me to be careful and not to be gone for too terribly long, since it was getting pretty late. I agreed, gave him a kiss goodbye, and left. I drove around our little town for about 30 minutes, but I was still feeling on edge about everything transpiring in my personal life, so I decided to drive a bit further down those dark, familiar, winding, one-lane highways. I kept the car at a steady 65 miles per hour, taking the turns at a slower pace in case a deer jumped out around the bend. I was just admiring the vast, empty darkness and the snow-capped fields and barren trees. It was honestly a bit creepy, being all alone with no cars in sight, and seemingly the middle of nowhere. 
The few houses miles back down the road were lightless and dead cornfields withered away and covered in the snow. It was like something out of a horror movie and I half expected to see a ghost pop up in my rearview mirror or see some clamor out of the patches of the trees dotting the horizon. The only light came from my headlights and even then I still strained to see through the inky darkness of the night. By now, it was just after 11, and I told myself once I made that familiar roundabout that would either take you to a small town or back up towards the little town I lived in, I would head back home. That roundabout was still about 15 to 25 minutes away, but other than my imagination picturing the worst, I wasn't really all that concerned. I mean, I was by myself. I didn't have any other motorists to worry about, right? Wrong. As I'm rounding another bend, I notice a vehicle with its hazards flashing maybe a quarter of a mile or something away from me. It was just some sort of sedan, dark colored, and was angled to where only part of it was on the shoulder, while the rest jutted out into the road. Like they had to pull over in a hurry, but didn't quite manage to do that. The driver's side door was flung wide open, and as I slowed my vehicle down and angled it towards the opposite side of the road to pass, I could make out what looked like blood on the inside of the open door. I didn't see anyone on the road or in the car, and I was the only motorist in sight. Cell phone reception is spotty at best in this part of the country, but more often than not, you couldn't get reception no matter how hard you prayed, which was definitely the case when I took a glance at my phone to see if I had any service. So a lone female on the road at night pulling up to a vacant car that looks like it had been attacked on the inside with no cell service was, uh, not a good idea. Now, I'm no dummy, but I've watched countless episodes of Investigation Discovery and Criminal Minds and read far too many true crime books to know that this had bad and danger written all over it. But there was still a part of me that worried about something terrible happening to somebody. What happened to whoever was in that vehicle? And I thought that maybe I had to help. These roads don't get a lot of traffic at night and temperatures are well below freezing. If someone were hurt or in trouble, there was no one here to help them but me. Still, I erred on the side of caution. I, I was still driving my car, though a bit more slowly, and as I approached the vehicle, I rolled down my passenger window just a little bit, shut off the music and called out, Hey, anyone there? Are you okay? I didn't hear a response. I was worried that they were passed out somewhere but I wasn't about to get out and look for them. I told myself I'd call out one last time, and if I didn't hear anything, I would leave the moment there was reception, I'd call it in. And if I did hear someone, well, I figured out my next course of action. So I, I shout out again, Hey, what happened? Are you okay? There was a silence for a minute, but then I heard rustling from the shadows of the trees, followed by a gruff voice saying, Yeah. I was relieved at first and was about to say something in response or possibly even stop my car and get out when I noticed three things simultaneously. As I inched my way past the front of the sedan, I noticed there was no damage on the hood or anywhere else on the vehicle, which I found to be strange considering the blood on the inside of the door. In my rearview mirror, I caught a glance of someone coming out behind the sedan and they were making their way towards my car, fast. The first person did not have any blood on them or appeared injured in any way wearing a mask, not like a face mask for COVID or a ski mask or anything like that, but one of those masks you would see in the Purge movies, and they were holding something in their hand. I don't know what it was, I couldn't get a good look, but from its length and shape my guess would be a tire iron or a crowbar or something like that. 
I don't need to tell you that I slammed on my gas the moment I noticed those things and drove like a bat straight out of hell, my heart thundering in my chest and my entire body shaking. My window was still rolled down in my haste and the music was still shut off so I could very clearly hear someone, definitely a man, shouting at me, though I had no clue what they were saying. I just knew I had to get out of there immediately. I stole one last look in the